I have for you this morning a very important question I want to ask you. What kind of Christian are you? Are you a thermometer Christian? Or are you a thermostat Christian? Now let me try and explain my thought process. Norma says my thought process is something that cannot ever be explained, but I'm going to try. A thermometer is circumstantially led. Depending upon the temperature, the mercury moves up or it moves down. It moves according to the circumstances that it is set in. Everything around a thermometer controls how that thermometer works. Everything around that thermometer controls whether the thermometer moves up or whether the thermometer moves down. But unlike the thermometer, a thermostat influences its surroundings. The thermostat actually controls the heat or the coldness around it. So which are you? Which type of Christian are you? What type of church member are you? Do you influence your surroundings like the thermostat? Or are you influenced by your surroundings like the thermometer? I would suggest this this morning. The reason behind many thermometer Christians that exist in our world today is their own discouragements, their own heartaches, and their own disappointments. At some point in our lives, Every last one of us is going to be discouraged. And that's what we want to think about this morning. Those hours of discouragement that come to us in life. Because at one time or another, all of us are visited with our hours of discouragement our hours of depression, and our hours of despondency. At some point in our lives, we are going to sail that sea. Often we'll sail that sea more than once. Indeed, to be sure, the contrast between the feeling in our lives today and then tomorrow is Sometimes, well, to say the least, quite amazing. Take, for example, God's man, Elijah. Do you remember when Elijah confronted the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? He confronted the prophets of Baal, false prophets, hundreds of them, one lone man of God against hundreds of false prophets. And yet God's man, Elijah, withstood those false prophets. If you read the story, he used sarcasm marvelous in its pungency. 
And he put those false prophets to rout. And then the very next day, that man of God flees to hide in the wilderness. He's running, he's scared, he's afraid, he's depressed, he's despondent, he's discouraged because of an evil woman by the name of Jezebel. Because she's threatened to kill him. Well, what about John the Baptist? Oh, there was never a greater preacher than John. He was out in the wilderness. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people came from the city out to the middle of nowhere to hear John preach and to have him baptize them in the river Jordan. Well, there was a day that God's man, John, stood in front of King Herod. Herod, who was married to his brother Philip's wife. And John said, Herod, it's not lawful that you should have her. Talk about courage. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the moral courage it took for that simple country preacher named John to stand in front of royalty and rebuke him like that? Well, they got him put in prison. And we see that same country preacher languishing in the prison. He's cast down in spirit. He's despondent. He's discouraged. He's depressed. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one that's coming? Or do we need to look for somebody else? And then we can't fail to mention Simon Peter. The great mighty apostle, the great Simon that, that preached on Pentecost. And yet that same man on other occasions was nothing more than a spineless coward. Remember the old saying, the very best of men are at best men. Take the case of King David, the sweet singer of Israel. The man who gives us the text for our lesson this morning when he says in Psalm 43 and verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? One day, that brave king, that glorious sweet singer of Israel had made another cry. He had said in Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, David said. Of whom shall I be afraid? And another day there issued from the lips of David this wailing cry. I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. Because Saul was seeking him to take his life. Beloved, write it down. At one time or another, every one of us sails the sea of discouragement. We do. Have you ever thought about the question David asks in our text? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why? Why that period of discouragement? 
Why that period of depression? Why that period of despondency? Sensitive and earnest people are especially subject to hours of discouragement. If you've never done it, sometime read the life story of Shakespeare or the great painter Raphael and you'll find that there were terrible hours in the lives of those great geniuses. Hours of depression. Depression beyond the description of human speech. All sensitive people. All very earnest people are likely to have their reactions, their painful contrasts, fearful reverses in feeling. When we sail those seas, when the dark hours of discouragement, despondency, and depression are upon us, folks, there's some things we should not do, we should never do. We should never pass judgment on a great issue in our lives. And we should never pass judgment on people in our lives during those dark hours. I know you've heard. I've used it. Probably most of you have at some point or another have used that old expression. Expression. Let me sleep on that. And I'll give you an answer tomorrow. Friends, that statement has a great deal of wisdom in it. In hours of discouragement, in times of despondency, in periods of depression, we are likely to be quite unfair and often quite unjust. And it's likely we'll miss the mark entirely. And if we're not careful, we'll make a bad decision. We must be on our guard during those times in our lives. Because you see, discouragement. It's neither good nor wise nor Christian. And certainly, we should never parade our discouragement before others. Because to do so is harmful. On the contrary, we should present to others an air of kindness. An air of positivity. And an air of good cheer. And we should present it wherever we go. Because I'm going to let you in a little secret. All around us, there are people fighting battles. All around us, there are people that are fighting hard and strenuous battles. And for people fighting hard and strenuous battles from us, 
They don't need discouragement. They need reinforcement. And they need encouragement. The causes of discouragement in our lives can be numerous. Sometimes almost as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Sometimes, frequently even, the cause is purely physical. The body is the fortress of life. And often the body reacts marvelously on the spirit. Our body influences our mind and our body influences our spirit more than any of us realize. If you study the life of my Lord, when he was on this earth, when he was in the flesh, Jesus marvelously understood that concept. We're getting to a part that I want you to hear. Jesus, how about that? Understood that concept. One day, right in the middle of a great campaign, Jesus said to a tired group of apostles, He said, Come you apart to this desert place and let's rest a while. Often, our battle with discouragement, our battle with despondency, our battle with depression is because our physical body is literally worn down, as granddaddy used to say, worn down to a nub. There's nothing left. We're fatigued and we're worn down physically. Sometimes the sheer monotony of life can cause discouragement. We get up, go to work, go home, go to bed. Get up, go to work, go home, go to bed. And sometimes that old saying is true. Variety is the spice of life. Just yesterday, Norma and I did something that added variety to our life. We went to Baskin Robbins and got an ice cream cone. What a big day. It's a big event. She told me, she says, don't you get used to it. Sometimes, with little to look forward to in life, with all of our conditions circumscribed and narrow. If we're not careful, we can become discouraged. That's why every now and then we just all need to go to Baskin Robbins and get an ice cream cone. I didn't get an amen, but I got a lot of this back there. Sometimes, discouragement is even due to personal egotism. 
That man or that woman that has a great personal egotism is a person to be pitied. For one thing, that's the kind of person that is kind of hard for others to deal with. When Elijah had put the false prophets of Baal's around and he was running from Jezebel in his hour of discouragement, he was laying under the juniper tree. That's where God found him. And you know what he said? Do you remember what Elijah said? He cried out and said, I'm not any better than my fathers were. Well, no. He certainly wasn't any better than his fathers. Whoever said he was. Why did he think he was? He said, I have failed. I'm no better than my fathers. Any man or woman on the top side of God's green earth that has a great measure of personal vanity is riding for a fall. And a hard fall it's going to be, especially the landing. As in the case of Elijah, the cause of discouragement sometimes can be due to just a plain false view of the facts in the matter. That's what Elijah had. Elijah had a false view of the facts. He had a false narrative. He listened to some fake news. In his hour of discouragement, Elijah said, I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me. Why should I stay? I'm fighting a losing battle. I've held out the best I could for righteousness. I've held out the best I could for God. I held out the best I could for true holiness. But I'm the only one left. Why should I keep on with the battle? That's when God came to him. And God came to him with his comforting word and he said, Why, Elijah? Elijah, I have 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Elijah, you're not the only one left. We find that same false view of the facts with the young servant of Elisha. They were going to battle. And the young servant of Elisha was discouraged. And he was afraid in his heart because Elisha was withstanding great hosts of enemies. Enemies that came with mighty pomp and mighty parade. And that's when Elisha, God's man, prayed. And he said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Lord, open his eyes. And when the young prophets, when his assistant's eyes were opened, he saw the mountains all around them filled with the horses and the chariots of God. Sometimes, folks, we have to open our eyes to the facts of life. And when we open our eyes to the facts of life, we'll understand something. We'll understand there's God's plan. There's God's program of going forward. And just like God did Israel in the days of Joshua, God will take His people from victory to victory. As Paul would write, Be not weary in well-doing, we shall reap in due season if we do not faint.
But how do we cure it? When hours of despondency and discouragement and despair and depression fall in on our lives, how do we cure it? Our discouragements may be cured by companionships. By joining ourselves to other brave souls and magnify them in their relationship to us. Human companionships with the right kind of people is one of the most vital and helpful things in human life. And then again, sometimes our discouragements can be cured quite easily by comparing ourselves with others. If we'll look around us, there are so many in far, far worse circumstances than we are. I'm reminded of the words of the poet. Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay. I wished I was there. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch. But as she passed, she had a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who sold them had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment and I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word and then I knew. He could not hear. Oh God. God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go. With eyes to see the sunsets glow. With ears to hear what I would know. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I'm blessed indeed. The world is mine. But folks, the unfailing cure in life's hours of discouragement is faith in God. David kept battling. David kept questioning until David got to the foundation of the matter. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? 
Listen to this. Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Are you tired? Are you beaten? Feel like life has just taken a iron pipe and kneecapped you? Then put your trust in God. And stop trusting yourself. We can come out of discouragement. We can come out of depression. We can come out of despondency, vexations, trials, and so on. We can come out of the blackest, darkest night and put a song in our heart if we trust in God. The secret of peace is in the God of heaven. It's when we surrender our will to God's will. It's when we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our life, of all of our life, not just part of our life. And when we do that, we can say with Paul, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's His invitation, obviously.